Uh, today we have uh, these questions, and I'm going to kick us off by this first one, which sort of harkens back to a couple of weeks ago. And the first one is, why did you say that we are byproducts, that is, unintentional, of God's salvation, considering creation and the cross? Well, this is a question that goes back to John chapter 17, which we were looking at a few weeks ago, where I said that our salvation is a byproduct of God's unstoppable goal of bringing glory to himself. And I said that the unstoppable aim of the Father is to glorify Jesus, who will then glorify the Father. The way that all the glorification happens is by Jesus dying for us. Now, the number one aim in all of this is that Jesus would glorify the Father, so that the Father would glorify him. But the way it happens is by Jesus dying for us. So this means it's not unintentional that he saves us. It just means it's the second most important thing that happens. But the first first most important thing that happens can't happen without the second most important thing happening. And that is, unless we are saved, God doesn't get the glory. Now, nothing's going to stop God getting the glory, which means nothing's going to stop us getting saved. It might seem unintentional. Not at all. It's completely intentional. And yet it is still a byproduct because the main product is the glory of God. I hope that, is, hope that clarifies things. It may make it less clear. But don't worry. We, are, we exist to glorify God as does he. Question two. How is it possible that the tribe of Benjamin failed to drive out the Jebusites when they'd already been completely destroyed? Did you notice this? I noticed this as I was preparing it. And I was sort of thinking, if I didn't say anything, no one would notice. But uh, you did. Uh, and so here's the question. Thank you. Uh, the, as you look at the, uh, the whole first chapter of the book of Ju- Judges, you kind of think, how is it that one of them came in and cleaned out that particular town and then they pop in later and there are people there? What's happened? Well, one possible reason is that God's armies were not strong enough to occupy the place that they had then cleaned out. And because of that, they were able to have people come back in. That's one possibility. The other possibility is there's just such a large amount of time that's happened that's sort of been squashed up into this one chapter. So we're not totally sure. Even more interesting is that we get to today's passage and Joshua's there again. How's that going to happen? Because didn't he die? Well, I'll answer that question for you as we get to the servant. Question three. When we ask God for guidance, how does he answer and speak to us? Very practical question, isn't it? God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. Anything else we can't be certain of. If you think you are hearing voices, it it may be from God or it may be from any other source. It may be a very unreliable source. You you can't trust that. Uh, Last year, I had to make a decision about whether or not I would be here full-time at Jamboree Anglican or return full-time to be over at Oak Flats Church and not be here at Jamboree. It was a bit of a tough decision. I mean, it was a relatively simple, straightforward decision, but it was a decision nonetheless that needed to be made. I couldn't turn to a particular verse in the Bible that said, Jody, go to Jamboree, nor will you find those sorts of questions in the Bible as you're seeking God's answers in life. But in the end, I prayed to God, realised that both of those options were wise and godly, but in the end, made the choice to stay here, which was God's decision all along. Question four, how are we sure of God's guidance? Well, there are two ways to be sure of God's guidance. One is that if the Bible clearly speaks against something, 
then you can know for sure it's a clear word of guidance. So it might be in a really terrible situation that, that, a, that a woman felt that she should divorce her husband to start a relationship with somebody else, then the Bible says, don't divorce. So, God, what should I do in this? It's like, well, it's pretty clear, don't divorce. Uh, but what about other situations? Well, like I mentioned, with the Jamboree Oak Flats thing, whether I would be here full-time or over at, Jamboree, over at Oak Flats full-time, as I look back, I realise that God guided me to be here. And, and you will see other forks in the road, other sliding doors, where you think, was it this one or that one? And in the end, where you are is where God intended you to be. And you don't have to doubt that you've made a decision that, that perhaps was against the will of God if, if it's clear that you're not doing something that he forbids. Question five, if we want to gain money in order to give it away, then it isn't wrong to want a business to grow. Maybe, maybe not. See, if I was God, I would make all Christians wealthy and successful. It'd be really simple. Uh, I'd make everybody wealthy and successful who's a follower of Jesus, and then all that money could be used to tell everybody else how wonderful Jesus is. You know, all the money that's being spent on advertising this election next Saturday, you think, wouldn't it be great if we could get people talking about Jesus rather than the Liberal Party or the Labor Party? You know, it'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, and the other thing is I, I might think that if I was God, I'd give all the Christians lots of money so that they could be involved in caring for others, so that we could give millions and millions of dollars to Anglicare and they would then be able to give it away so that those who are in need can receive what they need. But that's not the case because I'm not God. You see, it may be that God decides to make a Christian business grow so that the money can be used to give that money away to glorify God. And that's awesome when that happens. And it does sometimes happen. It may also be the case that God might decide to make a business of Christians fail so that those people who are in that business grow in their trust of God. It's not like when you follow Jesus that all the ducks line up right, that all the cards come in your favour. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's not the way that God works in this world. Uh, I, having said all this, I think it is good for us to work hard and I think it's good for us to want to succeed in our ventures. I think that's a natural thing. We are made in the image of God. God is a creator God and he created stuff and it was good, it was good, it was very, very good. And I think we in his image are wired to want to succeed in that sort of way. Uh, we want to create good things that will leave a legacy and make an impact. But the big trap that we mustn't fall into is that we worship our creation ourselves, that we worship the successful business or the successful venture or the things that we do or build or create because we need to worship God. Because if we don't, then it's really bad and we'll see that in the time of Judges in a moment. Question six, is there any sin that God won't forgive? Well, as, uh, as Parker very clearly mentions in his blurb on the front of the news sheet, which you really need to read, um, the only unforgivable sin is persisting in rejecting the voice of God until the day you die. Uh, if you say, I won't listen to God, won't listen to God, won't listen to God, and then die, your sin in blocking him out is a sin that will not be forgiven. That's what it means when Jesus said in Matthew 12, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. It's the word of God. And if you say it's not really the word of God and I won't really follow it, then ultimately, if you have that stance until the day you die, you will not be forgiven. Question seven, does God ever stop forgiving us? Uh, no, miraculously. Uh, in Matthew 18, we read that Peter came to Jesus and, Lord, and said, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus said, not seven times, 77 times. If you continually sin, then you will continually be forgiven. But let me say this though. If you do continue to sin and keep, 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 keep sinning deliberately, then I wonder whether or not you actually have been saved, whether you actually really hate sin as much as you should. 1 John talks a lot about this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you won't want to keep on sinning. You will keep on sinning. I keep on sinning and I go, why did I do that? Ugh, why do I keep sinning? If you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you want to stop. But whether you do or don't, you will keep being forgiven if you humbly come to God and say sorry. And it's a miracle, really. Question eight, how can I feel God's peace? Well, on Wednesday at Merle Frederick's funeral, I spoke on Philippians chapter 4, which says these words. Listen to these words, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I, I think it says there that when you pray to God about everything and say, I'm stressed about everything, I hand it over to you, then it says that we will experience God's peace. So if you're not experiencing God's peace, then maybe you should pray more because God's saying, talk to me, talk to me. I want to give you peace. Two to come. How can I be assured that I'm going to heaven? Well, one of my favourite verses is in Romans chapter 10, which says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here it is. If you blab everywhere that you think that Jesus is Lord, and everyone knows that at school, in the workplace, amongst your family, in the sporting club, the shops, wherever it is, if people know that you think that Jesus is Lord, firstly, and secondly, that you really believe in your heart, your heart of hearts, that God raised him from the dead, that he's not buried somewhere or rotting bones over in Jerusalem. He is alive. If you say that and believe that, God says here clearly, you will be saved, no doubt. That's the assurance you need. And if you've forgotten that, read Romans chapter 10. It'll tell you yet again. And finally, it's an interesting little question. If you claim to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of it? The person who asked this said on the response slip it was more of a reflection question. But I think this is a good one to end with because if you're wanting assurance about whether or not you think you are really saved, then have you told people that Jesus is Lord? Do they all know that you think that Jesus is Lord? Because if you claim to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of it? It's a, it's a funny sort of way of, of thinking about how keen you are as a follower of Jesus if you are indeed are one. And it's a good challenge for us as we reflect upon that. Uh, thanks for your questions. There's a
ton of them there and I look forward to answering a few more next week as well.